Security, privacy, data protection. We're speaking with Aaron Levy. He's the CEO of Fox. And we're going to take a business leadership point of view and explore these topics. We help enterprises securely manage and collaborate around their most important data. So we have about 97,000 customers. We work with nearly 70% of the Fortune 500 companies like General Electric, Eli Lilly, uh, Coca-Cola, and, and many others. Our job, uh, first and foremost, is to help companies keep their data secure and keep their most uh, valuable information protected as they move it to the cloud. You said our most important job is to keep that data safe. Tell us about that. This takes on many characteristics when you're a cloud company, uh, and it really starts with obviously the found foundation of your platform. So the data security, the way that you design your software, the the infrastructure that you leverage, how you harden that infrastructure. So if you think about job number one is make sure that that we are building the most secure systems possible for customers' information. Uh, job number two is to make sure that as employees of Box and as a from a corporate uh, from a corporate standpoint that we are keeping it, uh, our customers' most valuable uh, information protected. So this is how you know we think about internal security, how we make sure that uh, we have the the highest degree of security hygiene, um, you know, within the organization. And then finally, um, we build functionality uh, for our customers to help keep their data protected. Um, and give them the control to be able to to help them uh, secure their information. And so this is where we build advanced products that go way, way beyond keeping data secure and more around how do we help companies understand how their information is being accessed, what type of data is being shared and with whom. Um, is, uh, is certain information not supposed to be uh, leaving the, the corporate network or um, yeah, uh, leaving um, uh, you know, different geographies or being accessed by certain devices? So being able to have all of the analytics and all of the uh, intelligence around how do you um, apply additional levels of security to data is what we're, what we're focused on building. So um, keep the core foundation security really strong. Make sure that we, as stewards of our customers' most important information, have a high degree of security hygiene, and then build a lot of great software to help our customers um, really uh, tune the security within their organization to keep their data protected. That's how we, we think about security at Box. And then, of course, maybe the only other thing to add is um, do that all within the ecosystem of other security partners and vendors. So we work with companies like Splunk or Palo Alto Networks or McAfee or Symantec to make sure that we can integrate with all of the other security investments that our customers have made. Where are we in cloud migration? And we'll, inter we'll talk about security then in the context of that. We started Box 15 years ago, and uh, so we're, we're, we just uh, passed our 15-year kind of anniversary mark, and it it, it shows the naivete of, uh, of of young founders because we thought that um, once we launched, we we felt like okay, the entire world would have to be only in the cloud uh, with no on-premises systems in probably three to five years. Uh, this was in in uh, 2005 uh, when we we kind of had that theory. And, um, and it was to us, the writing was on the wall. You had Salesforce, you had Workday, you had Amazon Web Services, and we felt like, okay, everybody's just going to rapidly move to the cloud. And then, of course, we get hit with the reality of you have, in some cases, systems that have been built uh, in on-premises environments that have been running for 20 or 30 years. Um, that takes a long time to, uh, to migrate. You have industries where there's um, heightened degrees of, obviously, uh, conservatism because of the sensitive nature of the data that they deal with. So think about pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, 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 obviously banks and financial services firms, government agencies. And so only really in the past couple of years have we actually seen the, the real tide begin to shift 
where, um, where in net new projects in the majority of organizations that we go visit, cloud is the, is the default approach. Um, and this could be true at banks. This could be true at, at life sciences companies. It could be true at government agencies. But that wasn't the case just even three years ago, where cloud was the default paradigm uh, for any new application or service. So I think um, we've now switched where any net new project, um, I think most customers in most industries are biased toward the cloud, but you still have decades of legacy systems, legacy processes that also have to migrate. So I think we're still in the earliest of innings. Um, I think most analysts and um, and most uh, what we hear from customers in the market is that um, you know we're just a, a maybe maybe at best ten percent of the way to this to this overall you know IT uh, transition to the cloud, and that means that there's just an exciting and insanely exciting amount of of change left to come. And I think what we get most excited by is. Uh, not when you can lift and shift one particular workflow or workload or set of data from an on-premises system to the cloud, but what the cloud enables you to do that you could not have done in an on-premises environment. That's the really exciting thing. So I think you know so much attention is put by vendors and the market on you know how could I get better agility, better flexibility, lower costs. Um, you know, more efficiency by moving to the cloud. That's fantastic. That's the baseline of what we should expect from a technology paradigm shift. What's most exciting is actually the new use cases that we can open up because of the cloud. And in our case, and what we hear from customers is some of those use cases are the, that the business process itself can transform. Some of the use cases are they get a way better way to, to you know, be able to drive data security um, and protecting information. Some of the use cases are fundamentally they can work with their partners and their customers and their clients in all new ways. Um, and that's really, really where I think the, the, um, the, the next decade is going to, uh, to, to be all about, which is um, what can we do differently in the cloud now that it's the base foundation of how we're delivering computing. Um, and I think that's what we're going to look back in you know, the 2020 uh, timeframe and, and say, okay, that's really where we started to actually change business, not just run it more efficiently. When we talk about uh, security and we talk about privacy in the context of cloud, what, what does cloud change with respect to these concepts? When you move from an on-premises environment to the cloud, uh, what what actually is happening? So so in your on-prem systems, if you and and this is um, this is a perspective that is informed by what we do. So I think a lot about unstructured files and data. So your documents, your media assets, your customer contracts. So a lot of this is sort of tilted toward that. Uh, but you can you can imagine the implications to any application or any category. But in, when you're in a data center view of the world and in a, a perimeter view of the world, you put all of your infrastructure, all of your applications, and then um, uh, all of your data within your environment. And it means that now the customer is responsible for investing in all of the uh, security and the bolt-on security technologies to protect all of that information in the perimeter around their corporation and around whether that's their data center or their corporate headquarters or how their employees work within their network. Um, that becomes the customer's responsibility. Well, all of a sudden, if I move my applications and if I move my infrastructure and if I move my data to the cloud, now all of a sudden that's in somebody else's data center and it becomes, uh, in many cases, somebody else's problem to start to think about. And so um, if you are moving your CRM system to the cloud, you're moving it maybe from Siebel or Oracle, and then you're maybe moving it to the Oracle Cloud or Salesforce.com um, as an example. If you're moving your HR to the cloud, you're moving it from maybe PeopleSoft or SAP to Workday or Oracle or SAP in the cloud. And it becomes that cloud vendor's responsibility to now think about 
the integrity and the privacy and the compliance and the security of your data and then enable the organization to have you know advanced capabilities around that but um, what we're finding is that as you move all of that information to the cloud, you need a completely different security model. Because fundamentally, uh, if you think about how content or your files or your documents are shared or they're collaborated, um, uh, once you move that data to the cloud, fundamentally it's going to your mobile devices, it's being shared externally to partners, um, it's uh, going outside of your network uh, to be collaborated on on different devices and in different geographies. And so we need an all new paradigm for how we think about securing data as it moves from your data center to a cloud environment. And so um, all of a sudden, when you think about now, how do, I, how do I secure that information? I need to be thinking a lot more about all the analytics about what people are doing with their information, where they're accessing it, how they're accessing it, who they're sharing it with. So I have an unbelievable amount of new analytic information that I can take to actually deliver better security. Um, when you're actually uh, thinking about how uh, information is being shared between organizations and not necessarily trapped within the firewall of your, of your enterprise, I have to think about how do I keep that data secure as it leaves my network? So it's not enough to just add a file attachment to an email and then send that as an email where you now have content that's available on somebody else's machine that is unsecured. I want to be able to be able to track that data as it's being shared. I want to be able to revoke access to it. I want to know who uh, downloaded or previewed that information. So as our data moves to the cloud, we need an all new way to be thinking about the security of that information. And it's not just protecting that, that data at rest um, and within your data center and when it's stored and when, when it's not moving, but fundamentally it's about protecting the flow of that information as it's being shared between devices, between people. Um, and so it's a completely different uh, shift mm -hmm. in, um, uh, in how we think about data security uh, and where you're relying much more on the service providers, you're relying much more on the cloud partners to be able to deliver that security. And, um, and it's not enough just to have a bunch of bolt-on technologies to help you secure your, your enterprise. And that's uh, really where we're making a lot of investments is to build that security more natively into the platform and give our customers the tools and analytics and capabilities they need to help secure their information. It sounds like cloud security is actually a collaborative ecosystem project. It's fundamental because you know we are going to be one application that you know and and um, uh, that that helps companies manage their content and their files and their data. Salesforce is going to be an application that helps companies manage their CRM information. Workday is going to be an application that helps companies manage their HR data. Slack is going to help you um, uh, collaborate and and have channels for communication. Uh, and so each of us are going to be responsible for securing our systems and the data and the information within our systems. And then there's going to be another layer which is uh, around technology that helps you secure uh, all of the different SaaS or, or cloud investments that you're making. And maybe that layer um, will be a, a security event system from Splunk, or maybe it'll be a, a cloud access uh, bro security brokerage system from Palo Alto Networks or McAfee, um, or maybe it'll be an intelligent layer um, that's delivered by IBM or, uh, or Amazon. And so um, there's going to be a role for the different applications and infrastructure players, and then there's, there's going to be a role for horizontal systems that help think about the security across all those applications and data types. Um, and so fundamentally, um, we need to be thinking about security in terms of platforms um, and how do our platforms interact with one another, uh, not just as silos of data where we are, are closed off to one another. You talk with a lot of customers and are you finding, to, to what degree are you finding awareness of the need to be thinking about these issues? And also, does it vary by industry, by size of company? What kind of patterns are you seeing? 
you know, first of all, I think the awareness is at the the peak level that I've ever seen. Um, you know, in in, uh, in doing this for fifteen years, um, that's uh, been contributed to because of of you know all of the 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 just the um, uh, amount of splashy headlines, uh, whether it's a Capital One breach or Jeff Bezos's phone getting hacked, or um, uh, you know, we, we have a range of of uh, very uh, in vogue. Um, you know, kind of moments uh, around security that that have helped um, security professionals, you know, be able to really say, okay, this is super important. This is why we need to invest here. And now, um, I, I think I think there's not a CEO in the country or the world um, that is not uh, uh, paranoid and and thinking about this this constantly. So that's the awareness side. Now, what are they doing about it? That there's a wide range of of outcomes on uh, on what. Uh, companies are doing from an investment or resourcing or strategy standpoint. And that's um, that's where we see the greatest vari- variability. But I don't think there's anybody that's not aware of how big of an issue this is. Um, you know, what, to, your, to your second question, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen is that um, security really started out as, a, as an issue that I think um, was either um, a very fringe uh, concern by uh, only your IT organization or your security organization, or a concern of very regulated entities. So banks, pharmaceutical companies, um, healthcare uh, institutions, government agencies, and that was sort of the audience of security. So if you think about, you know, going to a security conference 10 or 15 years ago, um, it would either be banks or it was it was really just, um, you know, an IT or security issue uh, that, uh, that was off in the corner for, for other organizations. Today, um, I think uh, security and thoughtfulness around data sensitivity is pervasive across all industries and companies of all sizes. And the reason for that is that, first of all, you now just have way more regulation that has occurred uh, from a data privacy perspective that is causing companies in previously unregulated industries. Think about if you're a if you're just a retailer or a CPG company, you know you weren't really having to think about data hygiene uh, five or ten years ago. But now all of a sudden, with things like CCPA or GDPR, you really have to pay attention to this. Or think about the Sony hack just a few years ago. If you were a media company, you didn't really have to think about cybersecurity um, as uh, as a as a, a possible business risk. Um, uh, between reputational harm or financial impact. Um, and so all of a sudden now, media and entertainment has to pay a lot more uh, attention to these issues. So there's not an industry today that doesn't either have regulatory challenges, financial harm, or reputational risk um, if they have uh, security go the wrong direction. And, uh, and so I think that's causing boards of directors, CEOs, CIOs in every industry to say, holy shit, we have to pay attention to this. We have to invest in it. Um, and then it really comes down to, okay, you know, how are companies resourced to do this? How are they driving the, the strategies to be able to go and um, actually get into a much better uh, position? Do you see differences among industries or types of companies in terms of the, the level of resources and focus that they're placing on this? I do. Depending on the level of compliance and regulatory challenges you have, uh, the, the investment uh, tends to be, in some cases, an order of magnitude more. Um, so, so you get more dollars applied to the problem because, because there might be billions of dollars worth of fines uh, that are tied to uh, doing it in the, in the wrong way. Um, uh, so so, uh, so that, that, that is a, um, maybe a, a view of the financial investment. However, um, uh, security is not always an area where more dollars solves the problem um, versus uh, where good architecture and good uh, uh, 
uh, principles in the design of your systems and the design of your processes matters a lot more than how many dollars you throw at the problem. And so, so I can't quite generalize yet where, where I say some companies that have way more dollars are doing better um, because I know of many more nimble organizations that maybe have better security hygiene, um, but it's due to the, the sort of scarcity of investment that caused them to be really, really hyper-focused on the most impactful areas of security, um, as opposed to maybe some of the flashy things that, that are, are done or some of the maybe the the um, the things that you do only for compliance, but they don't end up helping security. And I think sometimes what we see is that there can be a, uh, too much conflation of security and compliance, um, and those two things are very different uh, because compliance is a set of maybe a hundred things you have to do uh, from a regulatory standpoint, but security is really about risk um, and and judging risk across the business and um, really putting your bets in the in the areas that are associated with the highest degree of risk and compliance um, may not have that same exact perspective or prioritization. So companies that can just focus on risk um, and and focus on secu- uh, data security often can do better than those that have to tie in uh, all of the compliance and all of the regulatory challenges that they equally have to deal with. Um, uh, and so we we see we see differing outcomes um, all across the board. It's really interesting and a little counterintuitive when you said that uh, larger budgets do not necessarily mean better security practices. Could, could you elaborate on that? I think if you just take two extremes, if, if, I, uh, if I gave uh, an organization hundreds of millions of dollars to solve a security problem, um, inevitably what tends to happen is you tend to then invest more in uh, in uh, people and and um, and and manual operations, um, and uh, you invest way more in more systems, which makes which makes your business more complex, which creates more vulnerability. Um, if you had fewer dollars, but only could invest in the uh, the highest leverage areas of security, so uh, a single sign-on system that had two-factor authentication, an analytics and intelligence system that gave you full visibility into what was going on in your environment. Um, modern cloud-based uh, 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 software and, uh, and applications to run on, um, I, I you know, would generally, uh, what we've seen uh, is that you would generally do better in that modern environment that was maybe a little bit more lean, but invested in the most, the highest leverage applications versus the environment where you just threw more and more dollars at maintaining the legacy and adding more complexity and throwing more people at the problem and creating more, um, uh, uh, you know, again, more of an uh, of a complicated architecture that, that creates uh, uh, more difficulty in actually securing the environment. Usually simplicity always breeds um, more, uh, uh, both better hygiene, but more agility, more speed, more efficiency, and ultimately better security practices in most cases. If the underlying systems and technologies are simpler and less complex and hairball. As a general rule, more dollars will lead to more complexity over time. And so, and so thinking about it, do I really have a budget problem or do I have a, an architecture and a, a design principle problem? And, and thinking through from that perspective um, often is, uh, it will get you to a better outcome ultimately than, um, than just how do I throw more dollars at this issue? Now, that being said, uh, this is not a statement that the the global spend on security um, isn't going to grow and that it shouldn't grow. It's uh, on a much more micro basis. When you think about your architecture, think about it around simplicity. Think about how do I design out the complexity? What we know from experience is that anytime a system gets too complex, um, people will start to make mistakes. They will 
put something in the wrong uh, in the wrong location. They'll they'll end up uh, working around the system because the the default system is so complex that they need to bring in shadow IT. Um, and so anytime that your system gets so complex that uh, it gets too complex, you inevitably will have people work around the system or do the wrong thing. And when they do the wrong thing, that is what creates your vulnerability. Um, and so all the dollars in the world won't actually help that um, if uh, if your technology environment is too complex to work in. The importance of developing a security culture. What do you see at your customers regarding that that issue? The best practices we've seen are uh, are really around how do you create as as um, uh, as much awareness and visibility internally about security. How do you make it a a dialogue? And a uh, and create nomenclature around it and create a vocabulary around it as opposed to it's this sort of rare infrequent you know annual compliance thing that, that you do as a as a company um, and so we uh, if you come to any of our um, internal all hands events um, either once a month or once a quarter you will hear us talk about security in some significant way it might be having an external guest speaker it might be an internal testing that we did. Um, against em employees and what were the rate of, of people responding to that uh, maybe social engineering test. Um, we have, uh, we have uh, various uh, internal programs that are collaborative um, uh, and, uh, and, and bring the community together more. So what we want is, is um, as much sort of ongoing awareness and conversation around security as possible. Not this, this is a, a sort of a rare one-time infrequent event uh, where where it's about compliance or it's about um, uh, it, it's about sort of just checking the box and um, and so that's that's how we think about awareness that's how we think about creating a culture of uh, of security within the organization. Is that among your customers as you talk with your customers? Is that happening? I think we're still early in that because that's a collaboration between. Uh, the security organization, the IT organization, the HR organization, internal comms, you need CEO sponsorship. And, um, and you know, when you get to companies that have 5,000 or 10,000 or 50,000 employees, there's a lot of conflicting priorities that, that people do run into. So, so I think we're still probably early in some of the cultural change uh, that has to go on with, uh, with, with companies. But, um, but I know that, um, uh, you know, if you go to a big bank, as an example, they're definitely doing this. Um, the, the question is, is, you know, how much is it resonating? How much is it sticking? Um, that, that obviously is always, um, is always the big, the big question, but, um, but we do know that it's, it's, it's starting to ripple through, um, more and more organizations. What about differences between, uh, consumer, and B2B, are there patterns or differences there, would you say? I think it's, it's usually um, uh, comes down to how uh, does the company or organization understand what kind of data that they uh, hold on to and how sensitive is that information? So, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're uh, on one end of the spectrum, a complete brick and mortar uh, environment and, and the only data that, that you really work with is kind of credit card, you know, swipes at the cash register, um, then, then you're probably doing a limited amount, a finite amount of, uh, of, of security awareness and, and culture setting. If you're on the other end of the spectrum where uh, you're a, a digital media consumer organization and you have, uh, you have credit card data and you have consumer um, buying preferences and you have listening habits or, or, uh, or activity um, and you have ad targeting, then on that end of the spectrum, you have to care uh, probably about 100 times more than that brick and mortar organization on security hygiene and um, and, uh, and and sensitivity around this. So I, I think it probably less relates to consumer versus enterprise and much more around what 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 digital 
information um, do you house uh, for your customers and how valuable is that information to uh, outside threats? Um, and so thus, how much of a steward do you have to be uh, for, that, uh, for, for that data? If you think about breaches like, like Equifax, for example, which is, you know, a vast, should be a vast, a steward over vast realms of data. I find, isn't it extraordinary that that can happen? That kind of data breach can take place in that environment. I mean, on one hand, it's extraordinary. On the other hand, unfortunately, it's um, it's not that surprising. Uh, you know, when you think about the complexity of these systems um, and uh, the fact that you might have one or two systems that are not patched or not using the latest um, the, the the latest uh, you know configuration um, and the ease at which uh, a, a hacker can traverse that. Um, I think um, uh, so. On, on one hand, it's it's obviously very surprising because of the data that they hold. On the other hand, it's it's um, all too um, uh, it, it's all too uh, uh, I think unsurprising uh, because of the fact that 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 when you design complex systems. Um, and you have a, a, an organization that's trying to keep up with all the latest innovation trends um, and, and some systems fall behind or some developers fall behind, um, you create an environment where uh, you're going to be vulnerable to, uh, to, those, types of, uh, to the, those types of events. We have another really good question from Arsalan Khan. He says, from what you're describing, there is more of a need than ever for enterprise architecture. Have you ever, and he, and he says, have you ever considered opening up a consulting arm? <laughs> well, we, we have a, uh, we do have a consulting arm, but it's, um, it's very biased toward obviously, you know, customers that are uh, deploying box and, and helping them with, with that change management and, and, uh, and digital transformation. Um, but uh, to Arsalan's point, I mean, uh, uh, our, our enterprise architecture is, uh, is, is one of those sort of hundred X um, levers in a business um, where, uh, if you have an environment where um, you have kind of complete, democratized, distributed um, uh, system design, uh, you might get the you know amazing market forces within your organization. Lots of people are going to be pushing uh, the limits on on new technologies, and you'll get a a, a plethora of new innovation. But uh, you will absolutely have uh, a challenge in uh, in uh, in data security. You'll have a challenge in um, and uh, you know too much redundancy in uh, in systems that get implemented. Um, uh, you won't be thinking in terms of platforms and sort of how do I have layers uh, of of platforms that work together. So enterprise architects, um, I think, have a very long uh, future, and uh, it's a it's a good it's a good time to be an enterprise architect right now. The changes that cloud drives in organizations it's that it's it's not just efficiency. What we see is that it just fundamentally changes the the business process. So, um, so if you imagine a world where uh, you, um, you you know your your all of your data, all of your information, all of your business processes are inside of your you know four walls of your organization, inside of your data center with perimeter based security. Um, that's one way of working. Now you flip to to let's just say a, a cloud based way of working where. Um, where you have Zoom, you have Slack, you have Box, you have Okta, you have Office 365, maybe you have Google Docs, you have all of these new tools. Um, you're fundamentally going to be collaborating in real time. You're going to be working inside and outside of your organization seamlessly. So whether you're working with a, an employee that is literally at the desk right next to you or a, a contractor or a partner that is 
5,000 miles away on a different continent, um, that work is exactly seamless uh, between the person next to you and the person um, around the globe. And, um, and so fundamentally, it means that your business processes um, will, will start to extend more and more beyond the boundaries of your organization. Um, the resources then that you have access to, because, that, because now you have every single um, possible resource around the, the world to help, uh, to help move your business forward. Um, the ability to, to collaborate uh, instantaneously and move ideas and information forward uh, much more rapidly, not by, not by days or or hours, but by seconds and minutes, um, all of these things go in, and and transform the actual underlying work process itself. Doesn't doesn't make things ten percent more efficient or twenty percent more efficient. It it fundamentally changes the work that you're going to do. It changes the idea that you deliver to market. It changes the partners that you actually go to market with. It changes the way that you can interact with your customers. Um, and so that's ultimately what the cloud is delivering. It's not making our businesses 5% more efficient or 10% more efficient or lower our cost of, of infrastructure. Yes, it does all of those things. Um, but ultimately, it makes our businesses much more competitive. It changes the products that we build. It changes how we go to market with our customers. Um, and that's the really exciting thing about the cloud. And obviously, embedded in all of that is it, is it changes how we have to secure our information. Is this digital transformation, what you're describing, can we encapsulate it with that label or no? It's absolutely under that entire umbrella. I think it's, um, uh, I think what, what, um, what sometimes we miss about digital transformation is, is that it's, um, it's very uh, focused on this idea of the thing that was analog now going digital. Um, but there's still so much stuff that actually technically has been digital, but it hasn't been automated. It hasn't moved to real time. It hasn't extended beyond the boundaries of our, of our organization. Um, it hasn't delivered a great employee experience. So, so if you think about digital transformation, not just as uh, I can get my Uber car on demand, that's obviously digital transformation within the automotive space. But digital transformation is the, the team of 100 people um, that, now, that once you know, had to get in a room to be able to deliver their project now can be diffuse and distributed and be amongst partner organizations and employees. That's equally digital transformation, but it's, it's driven by the fact that we can collaborate in real time, that we can automate more of our work, that we can get insights from data that previously were trapped you know, with inside of, uh, inside of our databases or, or data lakes that we couldn't actually understand. So that's the broader sense of digital transformation that the cloud um, is ultimately the driver of. Somebody's listening and they say, yeah, that's great, but you know what? Our on-premise vendors have built all of these capabilities. And so how is cloud better? Well, for that person, if you're still asking that question, I, I, I can't help you. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you're gonna have bigger problems in your, your, uh, your enterprise, I'm sorry to, to say. But um, uh, you know, I think the, uh, empirically, um, if you want modern CRM, modern analytics, modern HR, modern ERP, modern collaboration, modern video conferencing, you literally can't get that uh, in an on-premises system. Uh, it's only delivered over the cloud. Uh, that's because that it's being delivered by SaaS or, or cloud uh, providers that all of the new versions of their products are being built uh, for the cloud. So sure, there are some systems that, that, are, uh, that make sure that they write code for, for SaaS and write uh, code for your data center. That's becoming uh, a much more rare um, uh, way of, uh, of delivering software and eventually um, will, will be a, a very, very small minority or niche uh, way to, uh, to, to be running technology. So, so I think uh, the, the 
cloud is inevitable, then the, the question is not, are you going to the cloud? The question is, how are you going to utilize the cloud? How is it going to change your business? Are you going to think about cloud as I can now run my exchange server from my data, uh, data center in the cloud? I can run my, my legacy CRM system from my data center in the cloud? Or are you thinking about it as I can use the cloud to change how my employees work. I can use the cloud to change my employee experience. I can use the cloud to collaborate with my customers differently. Uh, and I can actually use this as a lever to transform my business, not just as a uh, as a as an efficiency gain or a lever uh, to just the bottom line, which again, it, it will do as well. Um, but how do you actually go and transform the underlying business process um, that the company is operating with? That's hard for many companies that have, you know, been working with on-premise software for many years and their processes. It's really hard to know. If, so how, how do you how do you begin? How do you think about this if you're a business leader? You have to partner with the business. Um, so if you're a CIO or a, a head of IT or or anyone with an IT out there, you have to you have to go seek understanding from the business, from marketing, from sales, from HR. What are the challenges that they're running into? What are our customers um, looking for us to do better for them? Where are employees being held up because our internal systems are slowing them down? I can't tell you how many times we'll go into an enterprise, we'll talk to IT, they might think that they've solved a particular problem, let's just say it's collaboration or document management, then you'll go talk to the business and you say, how are you solving this problem? And the business is, is their hair's on fire, they're upset about everything, they can't get work done, it's too hard to collaborate. And so that disparity is because uh, we have, they, the, the IT and the business have not gotten together to be able to, to communicate around them what the challenges are in the enterprise. Um, and so what we want is we want IT to, to raise the bar on what they're delivering for the, the business. We want business to raise the bar on what they expect from their technology um, and more of that collaboration to come together. This, this can only happen when you, when you remove as much of the divide as possible between IT and between the business. So, so you actually have that as sort of one fused way to, to see the enterprise. The common theme here then is removing the barrier because when you were talking about security as being essentially ecosystem security, again, it's removing the barrier. Correct. Yep. And it carries through. So if you're a CIO you're, or you're a CISO, what advice, what you, you hear lessons from, from your customers. So what, what advice can you offer these folks? Where we have seen, um, uh, enterprises in many cases make the, the, uh, the most progressive um, and quickest change um, is really starting with um, where uh, thinking about uh, uh, again this this concept of leverage uh, is really important. So if you if you were to prioritize um, your your the sequence of of decisions and the sequence of investments by leverage um, and as defined by what what is the smallest amount of effort I can do to have the highest degree of impact in my digital transformation journey, not uh, uh, where what, how we traditionally think about it, which is you're, you generally are sequencing your, your execution by where your dollar's going. So, so if you sequence your execution by where your dollars are going, oftentimes that is gonna take you to your ERP system, that's gonna take you to your legacy data centers. If you sequence your investments or your, your, um, your execution to where is your greatest leverage, um, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, how do I impact every single employee every single day to make their jobs better? Um, oftentimes, again, that might start with, okay, let's make it easier to interact with IT. So maybe you invest in Okta. 
So that way people can launch into to the modern applications that they're using faster. Maybe you invest in something like Slack so people can communicate enterprise-wide much more collaboratively. Maybe you invest in something like Zoom so people can have real-time video conferencing or WebEx so you can do real-time video instantaneously across the enterprise. Um, obviously, we, we are really happy when, when companies invest in Box early in their journey because every single employee now can collaborate or manage their data in a, in a new and modern way. So if you start to think about what sequence of technology can I implement that has the greatest amount of impact to my employee culture, to the way that we work, to the way that we serve our customers, to the way that we come up with new ideas, that is often the fastest way to get your organization moving on a digital transformation journey. And you're almost doing sort of shock and awe a little bit where you're like, okay, we're going to now have a whole bunch of new uh, ways that people can get their work done. And then in the background, we're going to go and migrate the legacy stuff. But if you, if you invert that and you start working on the legacy stuff first, you're going to be three to five years out employees won't have had any change in their employee experience. So they don't know anything is any better. And most likely something's going to stall in that migration journey that will just cause you to slow it down inevitably anyway. And so, so really thinking about how do you get some early wins on the board? How do you change the employee culture early? And then how do you follow it up with maybe some of the bigger ticket, higher dollar legacy transformation that you also have to drive? It tends to be the sequence that I've, see, I've seen be most successful. If you're going to drive change, then you need to show relatively quickly some type of change. Yes. And counterintuitively, start small um, and, and find the, the things that are the smallest footprints that have the greatest impact in the business, um, because that's how you can easily get going on this. And I've seen some customers accidentally, I don't, I mean, it's certainly not intentional, accidentally take as much time to decide to deploy Slack or Zoom or Box as they would making an ERP decision because their organization has slowed down to the pace of the most complex system that they implement. When actually what they should be doing is knock those types of applications out rapidly, um, obviously with the right security vetting, compliance vetting, but knock those out rapidly, get the employee transformation going, and then follow up with the bigger ticket backend transformations that you have to drive. Um, and so if you get that confused and you move that sequence in the wrong direction, it'll end up slowing down the entire enterprise and you won't get any points on the board. That's really interesting that, uh, that organizations deploy, some organizations deploy at the speed of the slowest application. Think about your procurement processes, your compliance processes, your, your architectural processes. They were built to, they were built for your, 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 uh, your, your, your most significant systems because it has to work for that. But that's not the same process you should be using to implement or launch some of these lighter weight end user tools that are actually, in many cases, the fastest catalyst to digital transformation in an enterprise. Any final thoughts before we finish up? I've already been spitting into the microphone, so I feel like I've uh, uh, I've uh, I've gotten uh, all my uh, all my major comments on this. I'm frothing at this point in excitement uh, of uh, on, on digital transformation, but but I think um, uh, I I think uh, this is uh, this has um, been a, a great conversation. I think that maybe the final thing I'd leave you with, and um, um, and, and I, I this is a, a phrase that we we use internally uh, with our customers is eventually your culture will look like your IT stack. So, so think about what kind of culture do you want? How fast paced do you want it to be? What type of collaboration do you want? And then do you have the IT stack 
to be able to go and enable that? Do you have the modern tools with the modern interfaces and modern user experiences with the right degrees of, of collaboration between those systems? Because that's going to ultimately drive your culture um, as an enterprise. And, uh, and certainly um, excited to, uh, to continue the conversation you know, going forward. You just gave the greatest plug for CIO opportunity that I've ever heard. So to all my CIO friends out there, uh, on speaking on behalf of them, we say thank you. All right. Well, thank you. We've been speaking with Aaron Levy. He's the CEO and the co-founder of Box. Before you go, please subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to our newsletter and check out CXOTalk.com. We have lots of great shows coming up and we'll see you again next time. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.